Tonight here at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to continue going through our, our Bible teaching. And tonight's message is on the Gospel of John. Um, the Gospel of John is usually recommended for people to read as a new believer or somebody that doesn't know what they believe. Um, because it was written to people that didn't know Jesus or what they believed. You know, so it's it's been recommended as far as I can remember. It was recommended to me. I recommend it to other people. You know, if you're going to start reading your Bible for the first time, don't start in Genesis. You know, as many people do, you know, and, you know, and you start reading and you're like, okay, I'm reading through the Bible. And then you get to Exodus and you're like, yep, not doing this anymore. You know, if you make it through Exodus and you get into the rest of the, the Torah or the Pentateuch, most of you will fall short at that point when you start going through the laws or the genealogies or the measurements of the tabernacle. At this point, we're like, this has nothing to do with me or my life. We'll just set this right here. I own a Bible, but yeah, I'm not touching that thing. Um, I really encourage, you know, if you're new to Jesus or you're trying to figure out Jesus or something's starting to stir in your life where, you know, you used to be a believer or you used to go to church and you're trying to figure stuff out again, start in the Gospel of John, read a page a day, read a chapter a day. You know, it's not a marathon or it's not a sprint. You know, you're not going to pick up the Bible and read through it all in a day. You know, you know, if you're lucky if you can read through the whole thing in a year, and that's with diligent reading. But it's amazing how God begins to speak to us when we give Him a little bit of time. You know, I remember reading the Bible for the first time. I read my page, I read my chapter, and nothing really jumped off the page to me. And it was in John chapter 3, you know, that it, it talks about those who want to continue in sin love to be in darkness. And those that want righteousness will come into the light on their own. And God jumped off the page and it gave me a flash forward. I remember being on Kemble Street in the middle of August coming out of a crack house in the middle of the morning with no money in my pocket. And I need to hit those streets to make money. And all I want to do is go back inside to the darkness because I want to continue to sin. And I was like, whoa, what the hell is up with this book? And I was like, that's crazy. And then I continued to read and nothing, 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 nothing until I got into John 20. You know, and I was struggling with my faith. I was going to church. I'm trying to figure this stuff out. You know, I want to believe in Jesus. You know, I want it to be real, but I want it to be able to put my hands on it. I want enough facts. I want enough proof that I can say that this is real. You know, and... I remember sitting in my living room, I would get up and I'd read my chapter a day and I'd get my coffee and I'd smoke my cigarettes and, you know, and I'm frustrated with it and I put the Bible down on the coffee table and I said, God, if you're real, move something in this room. You know, and back in the day I used to have all these dragon posters, knickknacks, knives, gargoyles, swords, all this stuff in my apartment, hundreds of you know, dragon items, and I'm just waiting for something to come flying off the shelf to give me proof that God was real. And that didn't happen. However, when I picked up the Bible again, I started off with the parable of doubting Thomas, Thomas the twin. 
Now, my name is Thomas, if you're not aware. And I'm a Gemini, so that makes me a twin. And I begin to read the story of Jesus being resurrected and, and people telling the disciples about the resurrection of Christ. And Thomas is like, I'm not believing it unless I see it. I want to put my hands on his wounds. And then a little while later, Jesus walks through the wall like, ta-da! And says, come here, Thomas, check this out. And Thomas is floored. And it says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. And it moved me on that day. And from that day forward, as I read through the Bible, whether I agreed or disagreed, I'd say a little prayer and say, God, help me to believe this. Because there's lots of things that we're going to struggle with as we read through Scripture because it it points out our sin. And the more our sin gets pointed out, we don't like it very much. You know, and there's things that make us take steps of faith. You know, and as we're reading through maybe the first time or even the tenth time, there's things that we aren't quite comprehending. You know, and it takes a little bit of time. That's why I hand out those study Bibles, because it has a lot of the answers that you may have in your mind as you're trying to read through the Bible that it gives you some answers as you continue to to try to figure this stuff out. So the Gospel of John was written for us. You know, it was written for the Gentile. It was written for the unbeliever. It was written for the non-Jew. You know, and this Gospel, you know, has a lot to do with who Christ is and how he continues to mess with the Jewish believers or unbelievers. You know, John begins his gospel. It says, so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing that you may have life in his name. Now, having life, most of us know how to survive. We've been surviving since we were little kids. That we know how to adapt, we know how to overcome. I can't trust anybody. I got to trust myself. You know, if I'm not going to do it, then no one's going to do it. You know, this type of mentality that we are just fighting through life, trying to to get, you know, every little thing that we can, claw, scratch, climb, whatever it is, to get just our little piece of the pie. And what this is trying to tell us is that when we figure out who Jesus is, that we have this new life, and it changes everything. You know, I remember in the early days, you know, as I I was trying to figure out how to stay sober, you know, and I didn't want God. I sort of wanted God. I didn't want God to tell me what to do. I wanted to be able to do whatever I wanted to do. I still wanted him to give me cool stuff but yet I didn't want to obey any sort of rules or laws. You know, and as I continue to do things my way, I'm falling on my face again and again and again. You know, I remember going to detox one more time, coming out of detox and going back to an AA meeting because that's what you do. You know, and for those of us that have struggled with in and out of recovery, Going back to an AA meeting after you've relapsed is the worst thing that you would ever want to do. 
It's like, I don't want to go to stupid meetings. I don't want to hear those stupid people. I don't want to, you know, and it's like, but it's the only place for people like me that can get a little bit of hope from other people that have a little bit of time fighting through, you know, battling addictions. You know, and I walked into, you know, an AA meeting and I ran into this girl and she said, hey, my church is doing this recovery meeting. You should come. I'm like, it can't hurt me. I was in a crack house like a week ago. You know, and that's what motivated me to go to church. It had nothing to do with Jesus. It had everything to do with trying to figure out how to stay sober. And I remember listening to the woman that led Celebrate Recovery talk about Jesus in such a way that it overwhelmed me. That she talked about Jesus, that he would forgive me of any sin that I've ever committed if I would just ask him. That he loved me more than I could ever know. That he would come into my heart and give me life overflowing. You know, and for me, I always believed that I was a virus. I was so bad that if I got around you, your life would begin to suck. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, I'm cursed. You know, I considered myself a virus. You know, I would consume everything. You know, and for her to tell me that my life would overflow, that my heart would be filled, did something inside of me that I could not explain, that tears were just running from my face, and I wanted freedom, but I had no idea how to, to obtain it. You know, many of us try to overcome certain areas of our lives, and, and we are proud, and we're you know, we, we jump off and we got self-will and we're like, this is the time I'm going to do it. You know, any of us that have tried to diet and failed know that that doesn't really work too well. You know, that I had to learn that I had to replace, you know, substances with something else. It's not about abstaining necessarily, although I do need to abstain. I need to fill the void with something new. You know, and all through the years as I tried to get sober, I'm just resisting. I'm just trying to stay away. I'm just trying to stay sober. That all of a sudden Jesus came in and started to open up my eyes that there was a completely different way to live. You know, and I started to seek out who Jesus was. You know, and I remember going to church. And not wanting anything to do with Christians. Because they're weird. They're controlling. They're judgmental. Who the hell would ever want to be a Christian? Not this guy. However, I was desperate enough for change that I took a step in that direction. And I remember going... I gotta figure this stuff out. Like, I gotta figure this out so I can get out of here as fast as possible. Like, Christians are weird. They say weird things. They do weird things. They act in weird ways. Like, I don't wanna be one of them. I would go out to eat with them and they'd talk to people about Jesus. I'm like, don't do that stuff around me. You can do that stuff when I'm not here. You can do all that weird stuff. Just, you know, I'm trying to get Chinese food. Like, leave Jesus out of this. 
You know, we'll talk about Jesus when we go to church. Everywhere else, Jesus is off limits. And I'm like, man, this is going to suck. My life is over. I'm going to be one of them goody two-shoes sitting in the, in the, in the pew. Stand up, sit down. La, la, la. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Kill me now. But I remember something that started to stir inside of me. Like, if I'm going to be serious about this God stuff, I need to really figure it out. You know, so as I was trying to read through the Bible, something began to stir on the inside of me. You know, and it's a question that popped into my head, and it's a question that I've been using ever since. And who is Jesus to you? Not what we've learned, not Christmas Jesus, not Easter Jesus, that we get chocolate and hide the eggs because Jesus is coming. Who's Jesus to you? Specifically, just to you. Take everything that we think we know and put it on the shelf and start fresh. Take religion, put it on the shelf. Take every tradition and holiday, put it on the shelf. Take everything, every movie, every conversation, put it on the shelf. Pick up the Bible and say, who's Jesus? And start reading through the Bible with that question, saying, who is Jesus? And who is Jesus specifically to me? And ever since I did that, my life has been changed. Because it wasn't about religion. It wasn't about going to church. It wasn't about the rules. It wasn't about trying to, how do I fit into this crazy culture? It was about figuring out how this guy Jesus, who people say is God, who say was dead, but now is alive, who is a spirit, who can come inside of me, how does that even work? How does that figure out to play out in your life specifically? Because if it's about rules, we're screwed. There's not one of us that's good at following rules. Technically, if it's about rules, we're going to do the opposite and flip you off as we do it in Jesus' name. Can we just be honest? But as we begin to figure out who Jesus is, things inside of us start to shift. Things in our mind begin to think differently. Things in our heart begin to go, I don't want to do that anymore. Where we've tried to resist time and time again and failed, all of a sudden now I'm trying to figure out who Jesus is, and I don't have all the answers, all of a sudden I'm resisting things that I've never been able to resist before. And we see this man that comes alive through this this Bible, through these words, in a way that we've never understood before. You know, and it's so important that we draw our own picture. Now, at some point, we have to really get into Scripture and say, this is what it really is. But in the beginning, it's so important for us to just try to figure out just Jesus. You know, so many people are like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go read Genesis. No, don't do that. Why? Read John. Why? Because you're not gonna figure out who Jesus is. But that's the beginning of the book. I know. But that's not how this works. Why? 
<laughs> I don't know. Some dude told me to start there. I started there. Things got better. You do what you want. But it's important that we begin to ask questions. But why are we asking questions? Is it so we can get out of it or are we trying to get deeper into it? You know, John starts with this poem. It says, in the beginning was the word. It parallels Genesis 1. And when God, he was everything and he was with the word. See, this makes the word personal. You know, that back in the day, not so much today, your word was your bond. If I said I was going to do something or not do something, you could trust the word of a man. Nowadays, it's a little bit different. You need 500 pages of that a lawyer's filled out and everybody signs it and gets it notarized and you're still going to get out of it if you want to because it's just a dishonest culture that we live in. But there was once a time that when someone said my word, it meant something. And what John is trying to say here is that God is the Word. And the Word was with God. This is distinct. And that the Word was God. That means the Word is divine. Later we read that this Word became human and His name is Jesus. That through this Gospel, you're going to see the Word over and over and over again. Because... The Word is the Bible, and the Word is Jesus, and the Word is important. And first spoke was the Word that created everything, that there's something very powerful with our words. That if someone was to follow us around and tell us all the stuff that we tell about ourselves, we'd be fighting. We are our worst character assassinations. I'm no good. This is, I'm not going to be able to. I'm no, you know, I'm fat. I'm ugly. I'm da, 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 da. That constantly these words are running in our heads. I'm a failure. I'm no good. Blah, blah, blah. And it's so important that we begin to replace the things that we're thinking with the word. So new words begin to be spoken in our mind and out our lips. That it's so important that we pay attention to the words that we think and the words that we say because that's what directs us down the path that we, that we go. You know, that John is beginning to draw this picture out of Exodus that Jesus is God's tabernacle. And in the midst of God's glorious divine presence that hovered over the Ark of the Covenant, this became human in Jesus. John further claims that one of the true gods of Israel that sits on God, that sits with God, the Father, is his son. So he's putting Jesus as God's son. And back in the day, if you had someone's name, that meant that you were as equal as he was. So by everyone saying that Jesus is the son of God, it's saying that he's equal with the Father. You know, and that Jesus, who became human, was to reveal the Father to us. That as we look at what the Bible says about Jesus, it's the clearest uh, perspective or picture that we can have of God the Father. 
by what Jesus does, what Jesus says, shows us the character of God. That when we hear this story of how John the Baptist met Jesus, and also other, begin, other people began to meet Jesus and follow him, that we begin to hear his disciples and other, these other people that encountered Jesus begin to say out loud who they thought he was. Who do we think he is? Oh, I go to church. That has nothing to do with it. Who do you think Jesus is? Well, I believe has nothing to do with it. Who do you think Jesus is? Well, well, I'm going to heaven. I'm a good person. has nothing to do with it. See, we each have to answer this question of who's Jesus. You know, and as these people begin to encounter Jesus, there's these names that get declared over him. He's the Lamb of God. He's a rabbi. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of Man. He's the King of Israel. He's Jesus of Nazareth. You know, and in this chapter, John is portraying who Jesus really is. That Jesus is fully human, a man from Nazareth, who is the Messianic King to come to teach Israel that he is the Son of God who will die for the sins of the world. The John is telling this story that brings so much controversy to the Jews because he is stating that this Jesus character is really God and he is the Messiah. Now they've been waiting for this guy for hundreds, thousands of years. And all of a sudden Jesus shows up, but it's not the way that they pictured that Jesus would show up, so they discredited him. How many times are you like, well, God wouldn't do that. Well, God would do this. Well, God would do that. But it's like we're trying to project what we think God would do or not do based on our feelings. You know, and so often we miss it because one thing that I struggle with is God would never forgive me if he knew how many sins I committed. Oh, wait, God did know. Crap, I'm never going to get forgiven. Right? Don't we struggle with this? That if God really sees and knows everything, especially every thought that I think, I'm screwed. There's no way I can get forgiven if he's figuring out everything I think. But yet, he can and he will forgive us if we ask for him to set us free. You know, that Jesus is going into these scenarios that John writes this, these pictures, these stories through the, the Gospel of John that are very controversial. That Jesus goes into the temple and starts flipping over tables and chasing people with a whip. Well, what would Jesus do? He might whip you if you're not careful. It's one of my favorite things, I swear. WWJD, I go find the meme of Jesus flipping tables and chasing people with a whip, and I post it. I'm like, that's what Jesus might do. Like, that's not my Jesus. My Jesus is a gentleman. Well, he might be a gentleman to you, but he might whip you if you're not careful. See, it's so important that we figure out who Jesus is, because if we're going on what somebody else says or does, especially if what somebody posts, we're screwed. In this day and age, with social media the way it is and TV the way it is, Probably 90% of the time, you're not even getting real truth. 
that it's so important that you get in your word and you know what that Bible begins to say. So when you're listening to some TV preacher go off about, you know, holy water, that if you send them 1995, that you're going to get healed and win the lottery, you're going to be like, yeah, no, that guy's going to have some issues when he meets Jesus. (laughs) And it's those types of people that don't want, we don't want anything to do with Jesus because we think we affiliate with those types of people. But it's not true. It's not true at all. But as Jesus begins to rise up, he begins to, to change what's going on. The religious leaders are very confused that Jesus is giving them truth in a way that they've never heard before. That Jesus is claiming that his death will be the sacrifice that sets everyone free that he's the one that they've all been waiting for, that he is the one that brings heaven on earth, that he is the temple, that if you would destroy this temple, then I will rise up again. And they're like, it took hundreds of years to build the temple. Like, they're not even getting it at all. You know, and it's so important that we really realize who Jesus is. You know, Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was a rabbi, you know, a Pharisee, you know, and he was really blown away by Jesus. And he was one of the only ones that took a step to try to have this relationship with Jesus because everybody else is like, just kill him. I don't want him around anymore, just kill him. And Nicodemus is having this conversation with Jesus, and Jesus is explaining the kingdom of God to him, and he's just blown away. That he's like, you're a rabbi and you've obviously been sent by God. But what Jesus says is that Israel doesn't need another teacher. It needs a heart transformation. See, we don't need new information. We don't need old information again. What we really need is for our heart to change so that we do no longer desire the things that keep destroying us. And there's no amount of abstinence and there's no amount of information that can change a man's heart. That he goes on to tell him that you need a new life. That Jesus says that no one can experience God's kingdom without being born again. And you're like, born again? You expect me to go back up at my mama? And Jesus is like, no, you're missing it. You know, Jesus teaches us in ways that baffle us. That as we read through Scripture, it should draw us in and be like, what is he saying? This doesn't make sense. And as we begin to study it and begin to pray and begin to ask him, all of a sudden things begin to pop off the page and be like, whoa, I never saw it that way before. You know, <clears> that Jesus teaches us that we're caught in this web of selfishness and sin that leads to death. However, God loves his world, so he is to offer people this new birth, this new beginning, this new chance at life. Isn't that what we all need? I don't need my old life that looks better. I don't even want the old Tom that's even sober. Because I was a maniac. 
I was more crazy sober without Jesus than I was using. Because now I'm sober and I have all these emotions that I have no ability to turn off. So I'm angrier, crazier, louder, obsessed, whatever it is. All these things are manifesting all over the place. At least when I was using drugs and alcohol, I could tone me down a little bit. So now I'm sober and I'm like out of control. Well, here, have medication. Now I'm a zombie. Thank you. (laughs) We've all played this game. And I remember being sober and on medication. I'm like, if this is the rest of my life, kill me now. Now, I will say this. In that time frame, in that place in my life, without medication, I probably would have committed suicide. However, at some point, I have to decide that I want something more. If this is all I'm going to do in my life, then stay there. Stay on medication. It's okay. Can I say that? It's okay. However, if I want real freedom, I have to begin to fight through my demons. I have to begin to address my past and say, you don't own me anymore. I'm repenting of this. I'm giving this. I'm forgiving this. I'm trusting Jesus. I'm turning this over. Jesus changed me. Changed my heart. Changed my mind. I'm ready to do it your way. I'm ready to walk behind you. And all of a sudden, depression got lifted. How did that happen? Because I forgave all the people that I've been hanging on all this hatred towards. I began to trust Jesus a little more and turn over control. All of a sudden, anxiety lifted. How did that happen? Because I believe that he's in control, that I don't have to control every little tiny thing. And this is a room full of control freaks. I'm one of them. I'm a recovered control freak. And I'm learning how to surrender this stuff and address like all these things that go on underneath the surface, like codependency. Like, that stuff drives you insane. Oh, my God. Like, when I started addressing codependency in my life, it's like, this is way harder than getting sober. Like, I am such a codependent freak. Like, drugs and alcohol is easy to kick. Staying pure and staying out of crazy relationships because I attract the craziest women, and I'm like, yes, this is the one. Let me fix her. I can't believe you lied to me. How could you ever cheat on me? I love you so much. Around the circle I go. And I just go find another one to fix. Like this is the one. No, this is the one. Let me sleep with her first to find out. Like, I'm insane. Had nothing to do with drugs and alcohol. I was completely crazy without drugs and alcohol. I needed a transformation in my life. Sober, abstinent, insane. Trying to figure out Jesus as much as I was like, this is crazy, this isn't going to work, this is dumb, this is stupid. Why is this working? I don't understand this. All of a sudden my life gets better following Jesus. I had no intention of doing this with my life. That Jesus radically changed me so much that I'm like, everyone needs to know that there's this Jesus guy in a way that doesn't have anything to do with religion. Because most of us don't want Jesus because we think we got to be a Christian. It's just the truth. What if we just began to follow Jesus 
and let things begin to fall into place. That's completely different than I'm going to go to church on Sunday. Because most of the people that we go to church on Sunday are some of the worst people that we know. Now granted, there's some good ones too. And we've all run into people that we partied with that are great people. We've all run into people that we partied with that are not good people. I was one of them once. Now I'm not so much. Thank you, Jesus. But Jesus wants to change who we are from the inside out. Not behavioral modification so that we pretend and act and say the right things and do the right things and this is how we play church. I don't want that, do you? Because I can't. Like I'm too transparent to try to fake it. Like, praise the Lord, brother. Like, I'm going to choke myself right now. <laughs> praise God. I'm going to go punch myself. From here, we watch Jesus travel north. Now, it's not a big deal. Like, oh, I'm going to go to Boonville. No. That above Israel was Samaria. Samaria was no good. Everybody in Samaria got the cooties. They literally would travel days up and around Samaria to go north. That they wouldn't even go there. Because what Samaria was, was a mixture. It was a mixture of Jews that allowed pagans in, and they began to mix what they believed. And the true Hebrews were like, they're unclean. They're so unclean that we won't even walk anywhere near them. Some of us have been so crazy in our addictions that people didn't want anything to do with us, and they would walk far around us. I remember one time that I'm in a department store, and I'm just walking down the aisle, and this woman comes flying out of nowhere and grabs her kid and like looks at me like I'm going to kidnap him. I'm like, because I looked crazy. I act crazy. That many of us have had that experience in a similar way where people don't want anything to do with us because of how we're acting. That we're so crazy or angry or we're addicted or we're just insane in our actions that people will go way around us to not have anything to do with us. And Jesus walks straight into that place. Jesus walks straight into our lives and says, I love you. And we watch him as he goes to this well and he starts talking to a woman. Culturally, that was absolutely never going to happen. You would never see an adult man talk to some random woman. Culturally, it would just literally never happen. And him being a rabbi takes that up a notch. But here's Jesus. He just randomly strolls up to the well and starts talking to this lady. And the disciples are like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm hungry. I'm going to go get something to eat. And they take off. And they just leave Jesus there with this woman. And he begins this conversation about getting some water. And the, and the woman's like, you don't even have a bucket. How are you going to get water? And Jesus is like, I got water that you do not know of, woman. If you take a drink of the water I got, you'll never be thirsty again. And some of us, we've been thirsty. We've been real thirsty. 
And no matter what we consume, it's never enough. There is never a time that I can drink enough, I can use enough, I can smoke enough, I can have sex enough, that I'm not jonesing for the next one. We can be in the middle of the act, whatever it be, and we're already thinking about the next bag, the next keg, the next 12-pack, the next guy, the next girl, because we know that this isn't going to satisfy us. We need the next one. And Jesus is saying, if you turn your life to me, I'm the only one that can satisfy that inner thirst. And she's blown away. And Jesus wrecks her by telling her who she really is and what she's really doing in such a way that she feels his compassion that she's talking about her husband and she's like, listen, woman, that that ain't your husband. Neither was the four before. It's like, wow. And here's this Samaritan woman who would be considered completely unclean talking to Jesus in such a way that she felt comfortable. And what I'm trying to explain here and describe is that we can come to Jesus as broken as we are and just start talking to him and say, I'm broken. Everything I try to do isn't working. Every time I try to abstain, I just continue and fall into it more. Every time I I try to resist, I, I end up going further. Jesus, will you come into my heart and fill me You take this thirst away for sin. And she runs into the village and and tells everybody about this guy. You know, I feel like that woman. That when he started to mess with my heart and show me that I was loved for the first time in my life, I began to tell everybody about Jesus. Like, Dom's lost it. Dom's all religious now. Dom's off the deep end. Tom used to be all right. A little weird, a little angry, but now he's cuckoo. Most of my old friends are like, Tom, you still being a priest? I'm like, I'm not a priest. <laughs> Trust me. Like, that's a whole other level of this game I'm not even attempting. But yeah, I still try to figure out Jesus. You should come. Nah, nah. But as we grow and we begin to learn about who Jesus really is, he begins to to stir on the inside. He begins to mess with things. And at first we resist it. We're like, no, 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 don't touch that. You can have this. And Jesus is always like, can I have this? No, 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 Jesus, I like that one. You can have this one. That one's painful. And he's like, can I have this one? No, Jesus. All right, I'm going to leave you alone. You're messing with me too much. You're making my sin not fun. I just want to have fun, Jesus. If you're going to make me happy, I'll talk to you. If not, leave me alone. Can I have this? Just leave me alone, Jesus. Right? Who knows what I'm talking about? But then at some point we're like, I'm so grateful he never left me alone. I'm so grateful that he comes and gets me when I run. 
I'm so grateful, even though I push him away as I push everybody away because I got trust issues, that Jesus just stands there and says, I love you anyway. That it blows my mind because I'm the worst sinner I personally know because I know all my own sins. And yet, I know he loves me. That I am a wretch on one hand and saved by grace on the other. Like that completely does not make any sense. But yet when we look at who Jesus is and what he did and how he reached into the lives of people that religion said shouldn't have God, and he's like, I love you the way you are. Come here. Let me help you. Let me change you. Let me dust you off. Let me forgive you. Let me transform your heart. Let me renew your mind. Here, follow me. All of a sudden, our lives start to get better. Not easy, better. This can be very difficult for us. But it's so much better. So much better. So much better. Finally, Jesus messes with everybody. And he goes into Jerusalem because one of his friends had died. And he knew going into Jerusalem at that time when all the religious leaders wanted to kill him already was going to be the end of it. But he did it anyway. And he went in and he he raised Lazarus from the dead. And everyone lost their mind. That's not possible. But see, one of the important things that we read in Scripture is that Jesus tells Lazarus to take his death clothes off. That we can't continue to live the way we used to live and have new life. That we have to leave that that things that are killing us behind us. Now, I can't imagine that it was real comfortable for Lazarus walking out of the tomb, probably buck naked, that we feel vulnerable when we first follow Jesus. We're like, I don't even know what to believe. I feel so vulnerable. I don't feel like this is, I just want to run backwards. But if we really realize, if I go back into my tomb, I'm going to be dead again. And we've all reached back in there. I've reached back in there so many times it's, it's hard to count. But at some point I realize that any time that I go back to my addictions, any time I go back to sin, any time I go back to any, I'm going to get the same exact result as I always have. I'm going to be unhappy, unsatisfied, broken, depressed, anxious, feeling like there's no hope. And following Jesus is this most uncomfortable feeling as we come alive in Christ and we feel absolutely vulnerable and naked. And Jesus says, I got you. I love you. Come here. The leaders at this point can't take it anymore and they start in motion the plot to really kill Jesus. They've been talking about it, but they've had enough. You're raising people from the dead... Now you gotta die. The Jesus spends his last night with the disciples and he takes it one step further. 
that he shocks everyone by taking off his robe and grabbing a towel and beginning to clean the feet of the men in the room. That in that culture, a superior rabbi would never, ever clean the feet of his students. That Jesus states this as a symbol of his entire life purpose. To reveal the nature of God, to be truly selfless, giving love, and washing away the sins of the past and the feet of broken sinners. That he washes away where our feet have taken us. You know, in that day they wore sandals, sometimes barefoot if they couldn't afford sandals, and they're walking in the roads where all the donkeys and horses and everyone would poo, and that dust and that dirtiness would be on their feet, and Jesus got right in there and started washing that stuff off. That Jesus comes into our hearts and begins to wash off the dirtiest things that we feel about ourselves. Where our feet have taken us, he begins to wash it away. And he gives this as an illustration to, to his disciples. Now you do this for one another. That it's so important that we love people. That I hear more people talk about, well, you're a sinner, or they're sinners. And it's like Christians are chucking Bibles at people because they're sinning. And it's like, Jesus is like, you'll know that you belong to me by your love. See, when I came to church for the first time, I got loved. I tried real hard not to get loved. I'll be honest. I remember going to church for the very first time. You know, I had all my piercings back then. I'd come outside and I'd take my shirt off and I'd smoke cigarettes by the front door, blowing smoke at people. I'm not even lying. Because I wanted one of those people to tell me I didn't belong there and I could just write this stuff off and go back to my life. Most likely everybody was too scared to do it. And here I am. There are people that try to love us. And it's very uncomfortable for us to be loved because most of us haven't really felt it very much in our lives. Some of us had some decent parents, some of us not so much. Some of us, we had one parent and they did the best they could, but it still was falling short by far. Nothing anybody does. There is not one human parent that even comes close to representing God and His love for us. And as we grow in this understanding of who Jesus is, that love makes us uncomfortable because we're like, I don't deserve this. He's like, you're right, you don't. There's not one of us that deserves his love. That makes the the playing ground level. That we have to accept what he did for us even though we didn't deserve it because he is God and he loved us enough to do it. And when we look at it that way, we stop trying to be perfect. We stop trying to earn it. 
We stop trying to behave and we just accept it and all of a sudden things begin to change in our life and it becomes way easier to resist the things that we don't want to do because it's not about the rules anymore. It's about His love that's drawing us deeper into this relationship and as much as it's uncomfortable, we long for it. We long to be loved. We long to be accepted. We long to be a part of. It's in our DNA. That's why we, when we get rejected, it hurts so much. It's because we just want to be a part of love. And Jesus is representing this in a way that goes far beyond our understanding. That in Romans it tells us that how deep, how far, how wide His love for us, that we can't even comprehend it. That in Romans 5 it said He died long before we ever knew that that he existed because he loved us that much. You know, and when we really begin to investigate who Jesus is and start to look at this love component, it messes with you. There's no way it can. That he is true love and he is representing this on this world today. That Jesus' final words, that he goes on to, to tell his disciples that he was going to die, and it made them sad and very confused. But Jesus tells them it's the best for them. He says, when I leave, I'll send my spirit. It's also known as the Advocate. As a human, Jesus can only be in one place at one time. But as a spirit, he's divine and he has this personal presence that he can be anywhere at any time. That each and every one of us has access to that. That Jesus tells us that with his spirit we can do all things. That John tells us that God consists of this loving relationship between the Father and the Son. And Jesus says that the Spirit is that loving personal presence that will come and to live with His people that draws us into this love between the Father and the Son as we grow in this relationship and understanding of who He is. But Jesus tells us to abide in Him or remain in His love. That He, that we are the branches and that we're connected to His vine. That He's describing this love on a personal level that the love of God can permeate any person's life, bringing healing, bringing transformation, making us new, that His Spirit will empower us to carry on and transform according to what He is calling us to do, possibly His mission in our lives, especially to love others. That through this radical acts of kindness and service, that the world will bear witness to the truth that it is exposed in His name that we are no longer selfish, no longer selfish and sinful, that we become generous and selfless, that we treat others as we would want to be treated in Jesus' name. And through this, people are born again and that we're saved because He first loved us. That Jesus predicts that... 
that we will have people that oppose us when we start to represent Jesus. Just as the Jewish leaders rejected him and opposed him. But he tells us as his followers that we will be persecuted, but he tells us not to fear because I have already gained victory over the world. That when you begin to take a stance that says, you know what, things got to change. Friends, family, employees, employers might mock you, might say horrific things about you. I know one of my friends back in the day, when I began to, to change my life, began to tell everybody that knew me that he wished that I died in a burning car accident. And yet would be really kind to my face. Today I know that when I go through hard times, that Jesus is up to something. That I've learned that he's sovereign, that he's bigger than I can understand. But one thing that I've learned through this process is I may not understand why his hands do what his hands do, but I know that he loves me. And when I look at his heart for me, that he truly loves me, it helps me go through any trial, any persecution, any bad day, because I know that God has something bigger planned. That he works everything together for good according to his purposes for those who love God. Now it's a process that we're going to have bad days and there's going to be times that we doubt. And we're going to wrestle with God because he's making, he's doing it wrong. But the more we surrender and the more we press in and the more we try to figure out Jesus and the more we understand that He loves us in spite of ourselves, He begins to walk us through this life with a grace that goes far beyond our understanding. I just want to encourage you guys tonight, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're struggling with, just turn and look to Jesus. Take one baby step, read one page, read one chapter, say one prayer and say, Jesus, I don't even know what's going on right now, but I'm ready to change. As scary as that might be. You just bow your heads with me. Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, I pray that you would move into the hearts of the men and women in this room, including myself. Lord, I pray that seeds have been planted deep within us that will bear fruit of a hundredfold. Lord, that things will begin to shift in our mind, that depression and anxiety begin to get lifted. Obsessions in our mind begin to get broken off. Struggles that we've been struggling with day in and day out and we have no cure for. Lord, as we turn to you and we try to figure out who you really are, all of a sudden the desire to do those things begins to drift away. Lord, I pray that your presence begins to get poured out into our lives, Lord, that we could grow in our understanding and grow in our relationship with you, that you are opening up our eyes to see and opening up our ears to hear because you open up our hearts to be loved, that you're transforming the hardness of our heart into a heart of flesh that begins to feel and begins to come alive, that allows you to love us first so that we can learn to love you back. Lord, I just thank you so much for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.